Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He is live in Jerusalem, which is always extra special for us, and joins us live via telephone here on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos. We call it the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. It's good to be on the air, but it's good to be in Jerusalem. Yeah, I can imagine. Where it's a lot warmer. Uh, still a lot of snow on the ground, I hear. What is it, still like a foot and a half of snow? Um, let me look out. <laughs> I don't know where you're walking, but there ain't no snow around here. I don't know. The last time, the last thing I remember is there was a lot of snow out there. Anyway. Uh, well, they told me it was specially ordered. You're missing the, you're missing the big story of the week here. You're, uh, you're sitting out the whole Bridgegate scandal. I mean, you know, uh, yes, oh no, I've seen it here. Really? Governor Christie's uh, contribution to the entertainment this week. Unbelievable, I'll tell you. Have you ever conducted such a long news conference in your life? Um, I don't remember a two-hour news conference. Malcolm, one of the best anything. One of the best tweets I saw yesterday during the news conference is that he's doing a news conference filibuster, waiting for the next big story <laughs> to hit. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's waiting for the news cycle to sort of push this thing away, but I guess I guess that didn't happen. Uh, oh, by the way, we should mention because there were so many people in our listening audience, and obviously throughout the Jewish community around the world, uh, concerned about the Jacoby boy from Massachusetts. He was right. found last Thank night. God. Yes, he was found in in Times Square, and they say that he was found okay. Uh, Hashem. I think everybody should stop the speculation and let the family and. Him deal with whatever. Hundred percent, and uh, also, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm, I'm seriously not making a joke of this, obviously. But it's just, uh, if there's anything new, we'd love for you to tell us. You're in Israel now, obviously. I would assume that aside from telling us that the situation continues to deteriorate, there's not much else to say about uh, Prime Minister Sharon at this point, right? No, the hospital stopped putting out notices. Um, I think earlier this week. And then yesterday did put one out to say that his situation deteriorated, but his family said he continues to fight like a lion and uh, appropriate for his name. Yeah. And he, it, it is truly remarkable, the strength of his heart, the strength of his uh, constitution to withstand, even with renal failure and other problems setting in, that he's able to sustain. The doctors, uh, frankly, had thought, uh, that uh, he would not have lasted this long. Well, one thing that all of us, just as spectators, and obviously you as somebody who's been so close to the situation, has always known, and that is that he's a fighter. I mean, th- this is something that you could attest to in terms of his personality, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> he was very determined, and when he set his mind to something, he was hard to deter him. And he, as you saw throughout his, his career, even on some very controversial decisions, Malcolm, you know what happened here uh, uh, last week, uh, this uh, brutal murder of um, uh, Menachem Stark in Brooklyn, and uh, obviously it's not my position to speculate about anything other than uh, extend our condolences to the family, and, uh, and, and again, just we find it so hard to believe how brutal a murder it was, whatever the circumstances were that were involved. Um, but uh, you know that one of the uh, key uh, stories in the aftermath of what happened is the New York Post coverage of the entire episode. And uh, I know it's not usually yours or my um, a situation to go ahead and start uh, uh, criticizing other members of the media, but so many people are so curious about what you thought about their coverage and if the uh, the outcry to the degree that it was was justified. 
Well, I think that the cover and some of the content of the articles that appeared was really outrageous, but not just on the part of the Post. I think the fact that even people from our community jump into the speculation about any business dealings, anything that they can without knowing anything, without having any background on him. Uh, the word is that he was a big, a very charitable, big Malhesed, that he did many good things. And frankly, at this point, that's all that people should be discussing and, and thinking about his family and the, and the suffering they're going through. I don't understand why people find this value on all these websites and speculating and uh, people getting so involved. They cared about it. They're people, we have to look at the lesson about security in our communities, about cameras. Those are the things that we have to, to focus on and, and of course, uh, focus on his family and, and uh, their situation. But the the post headline, I think, really went far beyond what is acceptable. And I don't know in other comparable situations they would do the same. It seems that Hasidim, people with the beards and, and the yarmulkes, let alone the picture with the strimal, you know, is exotic, so it, it makes it more interesting. But to portray a guy like that when they have no facts yet, we have no information, I think was, was that the outrage about it was uh, was justified generally. Well said, and I'm glad I brought it up. Um, all right, you're in Israel, and uh, it, it just seems that the pressure... And now one has to start to speculate whether now we're getting into this whole arena of presidential legacy. You know, are, are, is, is this now the intention? Because the intensity with which the Kerry meetings and the frequency of the meetings and, and just how much this Middle East peace process, which seems to not really be much of a process at all, continues to be in the news, is, is, at, a, is at an unpre- unprecedented level even for this administration. Um, you're in Israel. We know that when you're there, you obviously uh, speak to people who are really in the know. Uh, what can you tell us about the process that's going on right now and why John Kerry continues to put this type of pressure on Israel. Well, he is, he is coming back again. I think this was his tenth visit. The last one is this will be his eleventh visit upcoming. He is uh, he has expressed his commitment to to this process and certainly demonstrated it. There are many people who talk to me, ministers. I've met with many of the leaders here. Uh, talk about the nature of the negotiations and the personal relationships and speculate about the relationship with Obama. I do not think that the President Obama is involved in these negotiations. I think this is Senator Kerry, uh, Secretary Kerry, former Senator Kerry, and that he is very committed, whether for because of his perception of the world, whether he wants to have this crowning achievement. All that speculation aside, uh, there is a in the works a not an agreement, but a framework which will be the basis for negotiations. The Palestinians are insisting on certain things being in there. Number one, something not being in there is recognition of the Jewish state by them, which he says he will not do. He insists on the right of return being mentioned. He insists on which will never happen. Israel will not recognize it. And then they, there were rumors about proposals of 60,000, 80,000 Palestinians being allowed into Israel based upon what happened at Camp David in 2000 with President Clinton, where that proposal was uh, put forward. then it, uh, So right of return is something for Israel that is an absolute red line. And as uh, somebody said, what will they do if 3 million Palestinian refugees come to the West Bank? Forget about Israel. They can't accommodate them. What are they going to do with them? 
So the whole issue of whether Palestinians get resettled where they are, what they where they go, is a is a very serious issue. Did he? The did question he? Of did, borders, did, let me just finish because this is a, uh, it's really a serious matter in terms of of some of the uh, polling and some of the attitudes because this process is moving forward, as you said, and it's not going to stop right now. From all that I see, it's going to go, and Jerusalem is now on the table as well. There's got to be something on Jerusalem, and obviously Israel, for Israel, this is extremely sensitive and hopefully will be uh, dealt with in, in, with that uh, seriousness. The question of the 67 borders and land swaps, and that the Palestinians come out and say, we don't want to be swapped, although a third of the Palestinians say they favor being annexed to a Palestinian state or a Palestinian entity, uh, so this framework agreement from which each side can have expressed differences but will outline certain uh, directions, let's say, and then the negotiations will be to fill in the infrastructure uh, that is uh, outlined in the framework agreement. Is, is it possible that he, in fact, told representatives of the PA, if you simply recognize Israel, we can have 50,000 of your people come right back to Israel in an instant? Was it Everything that? is possible, and it, it may not be that formula. It could be something else where he's, he, because Kerry has been pressing Obama on, uh, I'm sorry, Kerry has been pressing Abbas about the issue of a Jewish state. Again, I want to say that I don't believe President Obama is directly involved. I guess I assume that Kerry, Senator, uh, Secretary Kerry reports to him uh, regularly, uh, but this is really the secretary driving a process, coming back there uh, over and over again, and doing so within the context also of all that's going on in the world. And people are saying, why is he focusing on this when the Abbas will not even lessen the incitement? I mean, we've seen all the reports over the last couple of weeks building on what we've talked about on air and others have for a long time, and that is there's a constant diet in every media, church, and mosque in government pronouncements, honoring the, he himself joined in honoring the martyrs, quote, who were released by Israel, meaning terrorist killers, that he greeted them and had staged this huge welcome for them and extolling, you know, these people who, who killed innocents. So the, the, uh, the question that really being asked, and I heard it from several people who are key in other countries, asking why, why not? And if, but if you look at the region, Iraq today, is heading towards a civil war. You see the bombings and see the increasing Al Qaeda presence and the, and, and the Iranian influence. Right. Uh, Syria is certainly going to have a hard time moving to and towards a negotiated settlement. We've seen now even the Geneva Conference is, is hampered and in question, and many of the opposition groups are saying they won't go. They're in disarray. Then you have uh, the situation in Iran. You look at Afghanistan. I mean, take each situation: right. Yemen. Understood. But just get back to my original point for a moment. And I understand you're saying that he's not involved and not, you know, participating on a daily basis in this. But just like we saw with a lot of prior presidents, and you and I could sit and list all of them and, and analyze exactly how they wanted their legacy to come through some type of Middle East peace process. Would you, would you think or, or would you tend not to think at this point that Obama is focused on the Middle East peace process being part of his presidential legacy? That the president is focused on yes. it? Yes. Is this important to him? Is Kerry... Well, he got, is you know, Kerry, he got a Nobel Prize, and he has to now earn it. 
And frankly, you don't get it for most other places in the world. You get it, it seems, only over the Middle East, and a number of people have already. So I'm sure that the president would like to see a resolution. It's something that came out of, he invested a lot in his first term. When he went to Cairo, he went to Turkey. Both of those situations, obviously, are not what he would envisage. You have uh, Erdogan, I mean, with the collapse of this great scandal in Turkey, which we'll talk about, and certainly the situation in Egypt, everyone knows. So the president, uh, but what I meant was the president's personal engagement. Yeah, I understand. If this process, I, I think that if this process takes off, you will see far greater involvement on the part of Right, the I, I'm just trying to understand, it. is all the shuttling back and forth because of the Obama legacy? I mean, Kerry is approaching this, especially, remember, he has a relatively uncooperative PA, even compared to the way they used to be. So, is, so is, is the constant shuttling and the and his desire to keep this in the headlines? Is it an Obama thing? Is it a Kerry thing? That's all I'm asking. And I don't. I know. I, I try to answer it that that it is to a degree both. It's it is Kerry who is running this process and who makes decisions when to come back and when not to come back. As I said, I, I'm sure, though I don't know of any direct meetings, but I'm sure that they consult. Um, but. Uh, obviously, the president is done during his administration, right. and the outcome of it impacts his legacy. Do you agree that far the P- more impacts Kerry's legacy? Do you agree more. that the PA at least gave the impression of more cooperation in this process a couple of years ago? Uh, from people I spoke to today who are close to the to the process, say that he's actually uh, been more cooperative lately. Although his public statements have been much tougher, we see the outreach by Hamas. To, to the uh, to the Palestinian Authority now, trying talking about reconciliation because they're under tremendous pressure from the Egyptians and you know have had to pull back a bit on their um, on their own position and, and therefore reach out each time when it's and um, when it's convenient to do so. So this, anything beyond that is pure speculation. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holmline is in Israel. It's not like he landed this morning. He's been there for a few days already, so he's got uh, plenty of conversations and uh and meetings already under his belt for this week, so we're trying to get as much information as possible from Malcolm about what he's heard uh, in Israel, both from the uh, government officials he speaks to and, of course, from the street as well. By the way, and i, I got to get back to the housing announcement, which I will in a minute, but you mentioned Erdogan. I read the Time Magazine article. I don't know. It, it, it seems it seems like no one is speculating that. I, I understand that the, you know this, the the scandal there is um, is a threat to him, but it doesn't seem like anyone's predicting that it's gonna it's gonna cause his ouster. Do you do you believe that he actually could be uh, replaced in Turkey at this point? It, 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 no, I don't believe that this is yet. But I do think it leads to undermining further his position, and they're facing an election in a year. Uh, and you know he wants to run for president, <clears throat> and he's uh, he would like to, you know even getting a third term, but he he's it, it affects him politically. It affects his standing in the country. Um, you know he's put in prison a lot of the generals. Right. At some point he's going to have to let them out, and and we have to look at the nature of this of what the specific issue right now. But it's only one of several, and his behavior often has been bizarre. And you have the demonstrations inside Iran. Uh, inside the Turkey, and Turkey sending some of the refugees from Syria into Bulgaria and other countries. I mean, he plays a, a, a nefarious role throughout the region. 
and not unlike Iran, both of them are attempting to to extend their influence, one the Persian Empire, one the Ottoman Empire, and to reassert that. And he wants to be a regional player. He doesn't want to be a local player. And that part of his anti-Israel stance is because of that. So this is an issue where you had uh, a guy named Zanjani who was recently arrested by by Iran. And it involved uh, huge amounts of money, perhaps more than $100 billion. And questions are raised whether how much the United States knew, when they knew it, why didn't they stop it earlier. And it said that, that Iran had $2 billion in Zanjani's hands, meaning not money, and they would buy, um, you trade this money from Turkey, gold, for money in Iran. And this money came from often oil sales done in third countries where they would change boats in midstream so it wouldn't be clear that the oil was coming from Iran. Then the money would be sent back. It had to be done in clandestine ways as well. And and we're told that the uh, oil changes took place, uh, you know, literally around the globe as part of this conspiracy. So one day there'll be a, a, a great meeting, a great movie made of, of all of this stuff. But it's it's really oil extracted in Iran being sold to third countries. The trans revenues transferred to Iran in cash or gold. And because the system is illegal, the transactions in third countries involve bribery and blackmail. So there's a whole network of crime and criminal elements involved in this. You know, you mentioned uh, his attitude toward Israel, and in order to win friends, he's got to be against Israel. There are, and I don't expect you to go into details about this, but uh, uh, there are clandestine meetings that are constantly going on uh, between, I don't want to say representatives of Bibi, but let's say uh, you know people who are uh, encouraged by Israel to to meet with countries and find out what their position is vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis Iran. Let's put it that way. And I think that at this point, and you're, I think you're seeing this with Saudi Arabia and other countries, uh, they, they've got to choose what side they're on. Is he making a calculated error at this point in terms of his own future, Erdogan, by not, by not uh, choosing the Israel side and instead choosing the other side? He, he won't think so. He, he is, um, look, he, he's moving the country more and more in an Islamist direction. He sees himself in competition with Iran for regional significance, and and uh, he knows that you appeal to the Muslim street, to the Arab street, by being anti-Israel and by engaging in the incitement and, and doing all these public uh, things that he has done uh, against Israel. Right. So, uh, you know, it is all part of this. And, and they look at the other developments. You know, we, what, when I mentioned about Iraq, when we talk about the Hezbollah in Iraq, you talk about the, the clashes that are taking place where Al-Qaeda now is building up its forces in, in, in Iraq, and you have soon Shiite clashes taking place, and it's not only the transfer of stuff uh, through Iraq to, to, um, to Syria. And in Inbar province, the fighting is, is taking place over control, and it keeps switching back and forth, and you have uh, Jabhat al-Nusra and, and other groups now competing and collaborating uh, for power in, in in Syria, in Iraq, and and uh, countries like uh, Egypt and Saudi Arabia and others have to look at this with uh, with great concern. And, and Al Qaeda suffered setbacks in Syria, but it's winning victories in Iraq. It's a very complex situation, and everybody knows that they're facing serious challenges that could affect each country. The Kurds are are organizing, it seems, um, uh, more and more effectively. What what makes this uh, uh, story with Turkey most disturbing 
is number one, when the United States knew and did they act on it quickly enough. Two, many other countries are involved. You know that Iran has set up, it's believed, 150 front companies just in this country of Georgia, and that the Iran Revolutionary Guard now controls about 50% of the economy uh, of uh, of Iran. Wow. And, and it's increasing. That's exactly right. Wow. And and then you you people you know look at each thing in isolation rather than trying to plug each of these pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, the threats by Iran about increasing the centrifuges because they see America weak, they right. see the West weak, so they will make a speech about 60% enrichment because they want leverage against the the new legislation. By the way, more than half of the Senate has now signed on to the Senator Menendez, Kirk, uh, Schumer, etc. bill. 53 uh, members of the Senate, and they want to get it up to a veto-proof majority. What, to kill the November 24th agreement? To no, to that would add sanctions if they fail to live up to the commitments they made, and it goes into effect in six months. But the administration is opposing it. The members of Congress are saying, "Look, what got Iran to the table was the sanctions. Right. We have to show them that there are going to be more sanctions and more serious consequences does, if they fail." Does they the, have no intention, I believe, of really going uh, all the way on on, on, uh, on toward, towards it. And they said they will not take away this, the. Um, the, the enrichment that they right, are, but are, but from the can you go back category, does the U.S. have the power to destroy this November twenty fourth agreement or not? I'm just curious if they even have the yes, they do. They have the authority to do it's that. Not an, it's not an agreement. I know and the, the Iranians say, by the way, that they can walk away from it. The interim they agreement. They say it's an, it's an understanding. Right. It's not. They change the language. Right. That they so when to. will it become obvious? It's now January. At what point will it just become obvious that the U.S. has no choice but to say, okay, it's obvious the Iranians have no desire to adhere to this? Well, Iran's continued involvement in terrorism in the region. Iran's uh, negotiators continue to obfuscate, as they did this week again, in the talks and lying and, and, and introducing the idea that you know all their R&D and stuff was not Stop the research and development. So they are improving the centrifuges. Right. They're already talking about a third generation, not just the second generation, which can uh, enrich much quicker than uh, what they have. And mainstream news sources are reporting this. It's not like it's an obscure story. I mean, it's known. Right. And and then you see, you know, their offshoots like Hezbollah with these new, with the increased numbers of the Yachmut uh, uh, missiles, which they get through Russia and, and elsewhere. Uh, so, so we, we we're dealing with a situation where Iran has benefited, gotten some of the benefits already from the proposed deal, i.e., the the increase in the export of oil, the real, their currency has bounced back, the uh, stock market has gone up considerably, and the at the same time they have not given one thing. Right. They have not dismantled one centrifuge. They have not cut back anything. They're continuing to enrich as before, and they say that the base against which they they will be measured after the six-month negotiations doesn't start until the implementation agreement. So right now, they're enriching more and more into their stockpile. That will be the base in in uh, six months, not what they had when the deal was signed. All right. So will the United States take action, especially now that you tell me they have the authority to do so? Will they take action to completely derail this process? Or just like we see with, with sanctions and everything else that Iran continues to get away with, it'll just keep you know, dragging on and dragging on as the United States continues to fool itself into thinking that Iran is going to comply? 
Well, why wouldn't they, if they see that they can get all the benefits, they're starting to get the benefits, that their psychology in the country is better, the psychological barriers regarding sanctions uh, right. have been shattered by the, the deals. I'm not they asking have, from the Iran side. Oil, there's I'm... an oil uh, um, conference taking place, an energy conference. You have 50 foreign oil companies from 20 countries coming to attend it. But so, I'm not asking from the Iranian side. I understand their position. I'm wondering when the U.S. is going to wake up already. Well, the United States is saying, "Look, we're testing it. We're not. We have. We can reimpose all the sanctions that we had. Anything that will be lifted can be put back." And that to date, they have not removed any of the sanctions yet officially. But that's why I keep stressing about the barriers that have been broken, because it's not really because anybody has changed the laws here in the United States or the application of the law. It's because the anticipation of it has already led the Italians are doing a lot, the Germans, the British, Russian. They're talking about doing business, especially in oil and other sectors. So the United States, you know, says that they look at this realistically, that they have a clear picture of what Iran is up to, and uh, that they're giving, that they're testing them. And and the United States was very tough on them about the the new centrifuges and about what they do, especially uh, with certain specific incidents. We won't go through all of it. But you know, the time we will see very soon. This is not a long-term uh, issue. Yeah, the unfortunate part is the U.S. often makes these long-term issues, and it just keeps going longer and longer term. And we have to show how tough that we're going to be tough with this issue, that the, uh, the Europeans and everybody else will follow what the United States does. So this legislation in Congress should be supported as a message to the Iranians that we mean it and that you will have additional consequences. And if you think that the relief you have now gains you some with your people, it'll be worse than than it was before because we're going to have new sanctions, tougher sanctions, more enforcement. We should put the aircraft carrier back that we took out. We should take stands that send clear, unambiguous messages. The message we sent with Syria when we didn't carry it out, the messages we're sending elsewhere. And the idea that we only put pressure on our friends, that Israel becomes the target of pressure, that other countries that, that want to be pro the United States tell us that they feel that they're the ones under the gun, and enemy states like Iran and and sometimes hostile states like Turkey don't they aren't held to the same standard. Yeah, no question about that. All right, back to the uh, construction announcement. There's always a, a big issue and uh, always one that... Uh uh, we want to get, you know, it, 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 I know that you always tell us that these are construction permit announcements, nothing, you know, concrete yet, so to speak. But what's interesting is the timing. All these announcements get postponed for a reason. Carries in the country, uh, there's a certain negotiation, prisoner release, whatever the reason is. And it seems, it seems that when it's eventually announced, it's still bad timing. Like, there's no reason to postpone these announcements anymore because no matter when it's announced, it always seems to be an inappropriate time for Israel. In this case, they announced plans to build 1,400 new homes in the quote-unquote West Bank and East Jerusalem. Even though it was no surprise, the announcement's likely to anger the Palestinians. It could cast a shadow on the U.S.-led peace efforts. I remind you, Malcolm, this is not illegal on Israel's part, but Kerry uh, often recommends restraint when it comes to this area of new construction. What could you tell us about this announcement? Wow. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, As you said, it is a preliminary announcement. It was held off, uh, I think, till now. It, it is not the start of construction. It, it's it's for tenders, you know, for for people to submit proposals or bids for these uh, houses. And the history, as you rightly uh, uh, cited, uh, I don't know 
you know, sometimes people complain about the timing, and I think there are legitimate gripes in saying, you know, that we refocus the attention each time on the right. settlements by doing this. I think that's a, a legitimate commentary and something that could be examined. But on the other hand, it's a normal governmental function. This is not something that is extraordinary. It is very sensitive, but it, it is a normal government function to do this. And the, the cabinet has to approve it. Ultimately, I think when the expansion and the, uh, the new building and it's, um, you know, to stop it is unnatural to say that there can't be any growth especially when you have the Palestinians building in, in very large numbers. What do you think of Naftali Bennett's announcement that he's really ready to pull his party out if there is uh, any uh, type of Judea and Samaria included in the deal? Say that again? If Judea or Samaria are included in the deal that Kerry's arranging right now, Naftali Bennett says he's ready to pull his uh, party out of the government. No surprise there, right? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I didn't hear the first part. Yes, there's no surprise there. I met with uh, Naftali Bennett. I think he is uh, serious about it. But I think those things are going to be far off. I don't think that the negotiations are going to come very quickly and that the the framework agreement won't go into that kind of granular detail where we will talk about the disposal or disposition in terms of any specific territorial area, but we'll deal more in principles that the sides will then be able to say they're for, they're against, uh, whatever their position is. By the way, we saw photos of you meeting with Torah giants in Israel. Obviously, I'm sure the army issue is one that comes up. But do the political issues come up? Do you, do you discuss uh, the, 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 the Kerry uh, uh, shuttle uh, diplomacy uh, um, um, uh, with the Torah giants in Israel as, as well? As they int- are they interested in that, uh, in that uh, section of the news? A hundred percent. I did meet, had the privilege to meet, which I do. Uh, whenever I can on a visit, if I have some time to visit uh, some of the great uh, Torah leaders and sages of our time, just as I meet with all the political leadership and, and others, uh, because you know every sector of society contributes and, and is an important part. And so it's not just army. It's not just it's army. Peace process is also discussed. Absolutely, and they some of them have story. And they ask a lot of questions. They want to know about things happening in the United States as well. They, you know, they have broad interest and they. You know, uh, assimilate the information, and uh, they don't ask me to pass on any shyla, so I have no problem in discussing the issue. Um, the uh, uh, you're in Israel, and it seems that uh, as we, we sometimes get limited stories about what's happening in Gaza. Uh, often, unfortunately, when it's a big explosion or a lot of mortar attacks, then we hear about it. But when you're there, obviously, you hear a lot more details. What can you tell us about the Gaza border right now? Is there still mortar fire being shattered on Israel? Yes, this week there were two incidents, several incidents, but one in which I think altogether there were seven mortars fired. Uh, it was Hamas this time, and the IDF, the IAF, the Israel Air Force, actually responded very effectively. Uh, Israel is on higher alert along the Gaza uh, border in order to assure that there are no violations and you have defense and other protections. Um, but, you know, Gaza is going through transformations of its own, given the cutoff from, by Egypt of the flow of, of money. Today, it's Israel that feeds Gaza. Right. And oil, energy, water, etc. comes from Israel, and let alone the questions of medical treatment uh, that we've discussed in the past. So the situation in Gaza is, is really unclear now with the outreach that I mentioned by Gaza back to, to uh, Hamas. They don't want to be to um, the Palestinian Authority. They never want to be left out. We know that Iran is giving them more money again 
which is again an outcome of the somewhat changed economic uh, uh, circumstances. The um, uh, and and of course the carry peace process talks mm-hmm. are always an incentive for Palestinians to rat to to ratchet up the uh, any exchanges that take place directly between the PA and Israel. One other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up, and that is that uh, again we read about. Uh, uh, you know, Russian, Iranian, uh, uh, business dealings. As, as long as there continues to be a good business deal, Russia will continue to do business with Iran no matter what the U.S. thinks about it, right? They'll sell anything to anybody. They're making a lot of money now on the sale of these, uh, advanced missiles too, that are ending up with Hezbollah and that Israel has taken out several times. But we know in May, uh, they, they followed up even more advanced and more accurate radio equipped, uh, Yahoo missiles. They have a range of about 180 miles, and they fly close to the sea and uh, at a very high speed, two times the uh, speed of the uh, light. And, um, and that they do that to avoid uh, evade the radar, and they're usually armed with uh, armor-piercing or high-explosive uh, warheads. So they are getting from Russia, which is uh, you know trying to take advantage of America's absence or any any tensions between the United States and countries in the region. And these, these things could have long-term consequences. We should not think that this is immediate. Each of these issues, when you think of the refugees from Syria, uh, 8 million people, uh, more than half of them internal refugees, but many others, millions of people now in Jordan, in Syria, in, Le- in Lebanon, rather, in Egypt, in Turkey, and going around the world. And the United States is debating whether they should take in uh, uh, some group of them. The... the um, so, so we, we also have the problem of what's going to happen to the 20,000 jihadists who are in Syria today when, and, and fighting. What happens when they leave and they want to go back? And if you notice, the numbers keep going up. Yeah. And they will be targeted. Will they turn against Israel? Will they turn against other countries in the region? And what the Kurds are, are in terms of developing their own independence and broadening the the entity that exists, the Kurdish entity that exists in the in Iran today, and each of these things, and, and what happens in God is that when they fire mortars, and when Israel retaliates, and now that they, they will use that as an excuse to go to the international court or go against Israel to the United Nations, and that, that each of these things ratchets, ratchets up the uh, stakes that, that in the region. And, and one missile can actually hit then a civilian a kindergarten, God forbid, or, or at some place where, where it have, we have multiple casualties, and that will lead again to, to some explosion because Israel can't tolerate. No country uh, should be forced to, to tolerate the, these kind of incursions. Unbelievable what's going on. Well, enjoy uh, Shabbat in Jerusalem. Next week you're in Yerushalayim or you're back here? Next week, God willing, I'll be coming back overnight, so I'll be there. This week I'll be in Greece and Cyprus to get more information for the show. Uh, I think we can. One thing that we should note is that tourism for 2013 was an all-time high, which I think is really, uh, really good information. Also, new discoveries all the time of, of things, including the, these um, garment fab, fab, uh, remnants that had uh, trailers on it, and it's been tr- checked and trained and it's checked to go back to, to what we know was a trailers used in the base of English from a snail that developed from a snail that is indigenous to this region. And, um, and you know, there are, these stories, unfortunately, get uh, get knocked off the front page. 
But one story that I think people should look at, and that is that Mein Kampf is the biggest selling in a book in the political, et cetera, area on Amazon and other things. And there's a real resurgence of interest, and people are reading and buying it. And the question is, why? Right. Is it some sort of purient interest? Is it because it reflects, you know, people are looking to it for answers, or is it just, you know, a historical interest? But the fact that there's been this big spike in the sale of Mein Kampf in America, uh, as we've seen already in Europe, should worry people. Very important message. Malcolm, enjoy Jerusalem, and thank you so much. Malcolm Holon is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings here with the weekly update at JM in the A.